Hey guys, I am Stephanie Goss, and this is another episode of the Uncharted Podcast. This week on the podcast, Andy and I are tackling a topic that is a really, really hard one. Um, We have been getting a lot of messages through the mailbag, and we have seen this certainly in our own Uncharted community. The conversation has been going on and going around about what is a living wage? And um, once we figure out what a living wage is, how do we attain that for our teams? We are hearing all over the place that people are leaving veterinary medicine in droves. We are experiencing this. We see burnout in our colleagues and um, we see the pain in our practices when we can't fully staff. And a lot of the information that we're being given, both anecdotally and from surveys being done in the industry, is that a lot of it ties back to wage satisfaction and the concept of being able to make ends meet off of the salaries that are being paid in veterinary medicine. And so I think this episode is a great one. As as you'll hear in the beginning of the episode, um, this is not a magic bullet. Uh, We don't have all the answers here in this podcast, but I do think that Annie and I had a lot of fun talking about this and some of the potential options that we see for addressing this within our industry. And I hope that you guys enjoy this. So let's get into it, shall we? And now, the Uncharted Podcast. And we are back. It's me, Dr. Andy Rourke, and Stephanie, put your money where your mouth is, goss. (laughs) That's a very appropriate one for today. Heck yeah. (laughs) Holy cripes. (laughs) Having a lot of money conversations right now. It is is awesome all over the place um show me the money yes there is a lot of conversations in vet clinics across america about uh about wages and about uh paying support staff yeah and um and yeah i thought we would we would unpack that today there's there's a couple of different pieces of this but before we do how, how are you doing, Stephanie? Oh, you know, I am good. It is uh, it is the beginning of July when we're recording this. And so I am um, spending a few weeks in California with my family and my kids and working from here, which is a nice upside to being able to work from anywhere at this point. And uh, it's it's been good. Lots of sunshine, lots of family time, lots of messy, uh, happy kids. And it's been really good. That's awesome. Yeah. How are you doing? I uh, I'm doing I'm doing good. The kids are at camp right now. Nice. And I got uh, I got letters yesterday, and um and my younger daughter is just living <laughs> living the dream. <laughs> like she is having the ultimate camp experience. And she's anybody who it. knows Hannah Rourke should should that should be no surprise. <laughs> yeah, she she is doing it. My older daughter sent me that letter that you dread getting you know what i mean where it's like i'm not fitting in with the other kids in my cabin mm-hmm. and you know what i mean and they they don't i thought what they would have warmed up to me but they haven't and you know and just oh it's a oh, tiger it just it my uh my dad used to always say you know you're only as happy as your least happy <laughs> child and i'm like oh man i'm like uh, oh, oh man poor so, jay well it's, it's yeah it, i mean it's a downer to have that experience I mean, she <laughs> she's a she's a a great kid um she's she can be a bit awkward as 13 year old kids can you know can can be um but you know i i i I bring this up i just sort of say it because um i just wrote back to her before we we started recording the podcast and um 
you know, I don't exactly know what advice to give right. <laughs> is to say, you know, you can't, uh, I, I, I gave her sort of two quotes and sort of said, you know, there's the old Eleanor Roosevelt quote, um, no one can make you feel inferior without your consent. Yeah. And then the other one is a Nietzsche quote of, <laughs> you know, that which doesn't kill us makes us stronger. <laughs> Uh, and, and, and so you write back and try to, and you try to say this, you know, this is, this is going yeah. to make you tougher. This, you know, this, you can yeah. handle this. And there's a, it goes back to that, that quote that's been in my mind a lot recently of, you know, some problems can't be solved. They have to be carried. And I, I think that's, that's, I didn't say that to her. I said that to myself, you know, where it's like, I can't fix this. You know, I, I don't, there's nothing that I can do from right. here to fix the problem you know and it sucks um but it just has to be one of those things that we just we we bear it <laughs> you know you have to go well this is what it is and you know and we're gonna we're gonna move through it and ultimately i think it will work out but it's still there's no amount of flailing my hands around that are going to make this problem go away you know right and i think that that's like the ultimate parenting lesson right like it's so hard to watch yeah. your kids struggle through something and have to just watch and let it happen because it's a part of the learning curve of life but it but it sucks because you want to wrap them up and tell them that you know it'll be it'll be okay <laughs> but you know it, it is yeah it is really hard but it is also a, a good life learning lesson to learn at her age like you're not always going to get along with the people you live with, right? Like, especially if you, you okay. move out and you have that young adult experience of whether you're in college or you're, um, you know, working or and you're living on your own and you have roommates, like you're never going to get along with everybody. And learning that lesson now is a hard one, but I think an important one. And I I love that that they're getting that experience and just getting just the, the freedom, man. I remember that as a kid of just... Yeah getting to experience camp and being being away from home like that's 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 a yeah. great rite of passage that's so fun well I, I think it's a good reminder for me and, and, it, and it plays into what I think we're going to talk about here when we start talking about wages is um there are some things that just suck and you know you can make them as good as you can right. make them but there there is no perfect fix. And I think that as I'm seeing more and more people talking about compensation and practice and wages and things like that, um, there is no perfect fix. I think we have to accept that there's going to be some discomfort uh, to be felt in these conversations. Sure. And it's just it's just going to be what it is. And so I think hopefully we'll get a little bit more clear what I, what I mean when I say that as we sort of unpack this. But yeah, I just think for me, it's a good and a reminder of saying, there's some things you can't fix. There's some things where you say this sucks and I, I, there's things I can do to make it better and I can get a healthy perspective on it. But ultimately, this is going to be kind of a burden that I'm going to have to carry at least right. for a while. Yeah. Well, do you want to dive into this uh, very, very hot topic? Because I think yeah. we both have been seeing and hearing and getting messages <laughs> and it just seems like it's, exploded and is everywhere um the conversation about wages and i i see yeah. it from all sides i see a lot of practice owners and managers grappling with doctors um who are 
you know, starting at higher salaries than they've ever started at before. We see it with technicians and paraprofessional staff who now are um, like, you know, we're leaving the field in droves too because we can't afford to work one job and and live, right? And And there are a lot of people who are like, this is the time for not paying our staff and saying, well, you just love the animals, so you should do it for the love of the animals and the money doesn't matter. Like, it seems like those times are starting to pass us by because the conversation is everywhere. Yeah, no, I, I, I agree. There's there's a lot of things that are happening all at once. So let, let's, I'm trying to figure out how to lay this problem down. Um, it started, uh, so one way to lay it down, there was a post in the Uncharted community and someone shared a meme from uh, the satirical website, The Cage Liner. <laughs> And the cage liner had a picture of a vet tech and it said the headline was veterinary technician just in it for the poverty. <laughs> and, uh, and that started this discussion oh, of, that's painful. you know, what, oh, it is painful. It's, I love the cage liner. Um, the satire is so good. Um, so it started this discussion of, you know, I'm having technicians come and talk to me about living mm-hmm. wages and they need to earn a living wage and they say they're not earning a living wage and and I don't know what that right. means <laughs> and I don't or I disagree that they're not learn, earning a living wage and what do you guys think and you know and what it, what does this mean what does any of this mean and so this big conversation or sprawling broke out about what right. is a living wage and what does that mean and how do you define it and how how do you translate it to a dollar value and uh and why are why are technicians asking for more money now why is this happening now and and so that, that's kind of where where it comes from originally for me uh, that all the way up to the present moment where less than an hour ago, I got a Facebook message from a veterinarian who was like, hey, <laughs> is it normal to pay a technician seventy thousand dollars a year? Because I have a technician who says that that is, quote, <laughs> the going rate. And I just uh, that's news to me. <laughs> and and I don't have that. Um, can you weigh in on this? Uh and th- that was less than an oh, hour man. ago. I, I got, I had that correspondence. So, so those are the conversations that I think are happening all over oh, yeah. the place. Do you want to flesh that out anymore? Or is that kind of a, a good enough thing for us to work on? Yeah, no, I think, I think that's great. And I would, would echo, I mean, I have been seeing, I feel like every day, sometimes multiple times a day in the groups that I participate in, um, both paraprofessional staff groups, so technician groups, all the way up to um, manager groups and associations where everybody is just like, I don't, I think that what I am seeing is a lot of conversation about, okay, we have needed to have some change and some revolution in the, in the wage uh, scale within our industry for a long time. And so everybody is kind of celebrating, hey, this is great that we're talking about this. And there are a lot of people feeling like it is coming fast and furious, like a freight train. And they kind of feel, as far as the leadership goes, feel like they're standing in front of that freight train and they don't know how to get out of the way. (laughs) And (laughs) Oh, yeah. And they're getting they're getting hit. People want answers. They want they want more money exactly. and they want it right now. They yeah, want it exactly. So I, yeah, I think that would be, you know, I just starting this episode, I think a lot of people are, are going to feel this because I see so many people talking about it and struggling with it. And yeah. I will say right up front, 
this is going to be one of those episodes that's probably going to frustrate some people because we don't have the answers, right? Like we, we, we can talk about, we can talk about it and we can talk about some things that we can try, but neither you or I is going to come into this and say, I have the answer to this problem. At least I'm not going to. <laughs> well, no, I, I think there's, I, I think there's definite things that we oh, can absolutely. do. And, and I think there's pro there's processes we need to start. So I, I, yeah, I, I don't think the answer is, Oh, you pay them, pay them this amount, this dollar amount of money right. and you're done. It, it's not that. But I, I don't think this is one that you can sit back and put your hands in your pockets over. I, I really do think that that uh, that there are action steps people need to to start to take and work on. Yeah, and we'll, we'll walk through that. So I, 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 get, I think I'm, I'm a bit more. I think maybe I'm a little bit more optimistic on what on what can be done to address to address what's going on. All right, let me let me um, I want to I want to start with the backstory. I think in my opinion. So this is how I kind of see vet medicine and i've thought about this for years um it's kind of been in my mind when i look at technicians and sort of the technician role in our practices is uh you know vet medicine came up and it's always sort of been this sort of james harriet culture of you know we want to take care of the pets and or the animals uh, the food animals in in james harriet's case uh we want we we need to earn a living and we try to balance those two things as tightly as possible and, you know, it, I think our price sensitivity started when we worked with farmers and there was a certain amount that an animal was worth. And if we charged more than that animal was worth to treat it medically, then they would slaughter it. You know, like that was just the simple math. And so we've always had this price sensitivity built into what we do of this has to be affordable or it's not going to sure. be worth it to the animal owner, especially, you know, in a food animal capacity. So I think price sensitivity has always been baked into what we do. And then as we went along, uh, we started to bring in paraprofessionals and we started to have uh, assistants and we started to have technicians and non they were non-credentialed technicians. And we kept that mentality of, OK, I'm going to have this other person here, but really there's great price sensitivity and I really do want my service to be very available. And the worst thing that can happen is that the pet owner can't afford the care that their pet mm -hmm. needs. And that hits me at this hard emotional mm -hmm. level. And so I think in some ways a profession, we looked at our support staff and we were like, hey, you guys know that keeping prices down is really important, right? And we're going to need you to work for less than what the market would pay someone with your skill set otherwise. Right. And I, that's just what I think. I think we've always paid low for technicians and maybe maybe not always, maybe maybe when we started and we had untrained assistants, um, maybe we paid a fair raise. And then as our assistants got more and more skilled and more and more savvy and more, uh, you know, and, and, and started putting in education and getting credentialed and things like that, we just did not increase their salary to match their rising knowledge and experience and, and the sacrifices that they made. I, I'm not exactly sure. For whatever reason, it, it brings us to where we are or have been in the last couple of years, which in my mind is, you know, we, I think all of us kind of know when we look at how much our support staff does that we have been underpaying them. And I think that the deal, at least the unsaid deal has always been, hey, you guys are working with animals. You love animals. That's why you're going to take less money than you would get if you went and applied your skills in another industry. I don't know. I just kind of feel like that's that's how we that's how we sort of have looked at our support staff. Everyone's had this sort of tacit agreement of, you're going to make less money because we're sacrificing to keep our prices down. 
Does that make any sense? Do, do you agree with that at all? It does. I although I think that it's um, I, I think it's more of an unintentional side effect of the thing. But I, I think that really for for me, my take on it is that, um, you know, people always say <laughs> they got into this not for the money, but for the love of, of the mm-hmm. animals. And so I think there has been this um, internal value associated with our jobs for so long because so many of us derive happiness and passion from the work that we're doing. And so it was okay to offset. It, it was like a benefit, right? Who gets to go to work and work with animals? That I know so many people who looked at it like, yes, I'm not making as much money as I could doing plenty of other things, but the trade-off is I get to work with animals every day and that matters to me. And so I think there was an internal value that made the external value of the lower paycheck okay for so many people for so long. I don't know that it was, mm-hmm. I don't know that it was ever, um, you know, an intentional thing on most people's parts. And, and, you know, I, I'm sure that there are practice owners out there who are like, well, you know, I, I have to keep costs down. And if payroll is my biggest cost, like that is something I'm going to have to manage. I, I'm, I know that there have been people who have thought that way from the beginning, but I think by and large as an industry where we have approached it is this is an internal benefit. And so when we look at the package as a whole for a team member, there's value in that for me. It's like, you know, being able to have a flexible schedule that doesn't cost me anything to offer as an employer, but there's internal value for some of my team members in that. And I think that a lot of us viewed being able to work with animals and have the constant, uh, you know, uh, dopamine hit of being able to be happy doing what we're doing all day long. I think that there was a huge amount of value there. And I think that as the world has shifted and changed, and particularly in this last year and a half, I think more people now than ever are starting to look very critically at what they're doing and why they're doing it. Well, so yeah, let let me walk this back a little bit, I guess. I I, I guess my, my it's my in my own mind, the narrative was never someone sat down with an accountant sensibility and said, I'm going to reduce pay for support staff because of blank, blank, or blank. I just think that because support staff love mm-hmm. animals and want to do the work and find sure. meaning in the work, they to- they tolerated lower wages than what someone would tolerate to work at a restaurant. You know what I mean? Um, I, yeah, period. I would agree with uh, that. And so, so that, I guess yeah. that, that's that's what I, that's sort of sort of meant to say. I I, I I I approach it that way. I guess what I'm trying to try to lay the groundwork for is yes, I think that support staff have tolerated lower wages for a long time, and that there is meaning in our work, and and that should not be forgotten. At the same time, working with animals doesn't send your kids right. to college. It doesn't pay for health insurance, and it's not going to get you your own right. home. Um, you know, it's just not. And so, so I, I think that that's just one of the, one of the truths about support staff in vet medicine. The other thing is, I, I think that a lot of what we're seeing right now is beyond vet medicine. I think we think of it as being a vet medicine specific problem. And there is, uh, and when I say problem, I mean this transition state. And there is some of that this specific to vet medicine, but honestly, a lot of this, I think is societal. 
the truth is we haven't seen increase in wages in uh, for working class people in 30 years. Right. But you better believe the cost of a house has gone up and the cost of college tuition has gone up and the cost of health care has gone up. And, you know, like we have seen increases in, in significant pieces of our life uh, in price. But people are, are not earning significantly any more money now than they were 30 years ago uh, for for doing those types of jobs. And that's, that's across industries. So there's been wage stagnation, you know, ongoing. And, and ultimately, I think I think a lot of people are hitting a breaking point. And I think the pandemic plays into that. I think the specific flashpoints for what we're seeing right now in our industry is uh, we have a skilled worker shortage. So we have we do not have enough people to do the work that we need to do. And we have a surging caseload. So so when our people are in high, high, high demand um, and we're working them to death, compensation is going to come up. You know, it's going to be like, hey, look, everybody wants me and I'm working myself to death. Why am I not able to afford some fairly basic things that that I feel like I should have? And I, I think that's a valid question, but I think that it really gets emphasized when you feel like you're working all the time and there's so much competition for other, you know, for for you to go and work other places. We see across the nation right now, people are quitting their jobs in record numbers like people are. And that's not that's not necessarily our industry. That's every industry. People are coming out of the pandemic and they're like, I'm tired of being as stressed as I have been. Mm-hmm. I don't want to go back and work in in-person location. I, you know, I. I have found uh, that I that I want more downtime or I want to be more relaxed or that's more important or I'm going to find another job that pays more and lets me have a flexible schedule and work from home. And like people are making that decision. So, yeah, people are quitting their jobs in record numbers. The final part of this is the corporate consolidation that's going on where we have corporations that are buying up vet practices and they're getting fairly large numbers of practices together. And uh, they are willing to take fairly drastic steps to avoid being shorthanded. They, you know, if the number one thing holding back the growth of their corporation is acquiring talent, they are going to invest resources into acquiring talent. And that's why we see um, a lot of the corporate groups are pushing salaries for support staff higher than they've ever been before. And a lot of independent practices are going, how do I compete with these big companies or these people who have venture capital financing behind them? They've got literally millions and millions of dollars in the bank. Like, how do I compete with them as they raise uh, as they raise what they're paying to try to attract staff to come and work for them? And so uh, those I think those are the big factors that are all happening right now that are really forcing these money conversations. This is all these things together is why we're having people come in and say, I'm not making a living wage. I need to make more money. I'm being offered these other things at these other places. You know, I'm getting, uh, I'm seeing significantly more money going to people who do what I do at the clinic down the road than what I'm getting here. And and we're we're sort of as a profession, we're we're dealing with these conversations now. Well, I think I, I agree with that, and I think the other piece of the puzzle, I I don't think that it's all. Um, that can, that piece of it, I don't think all lies solely with corporate groups. I think the other contributing factor is that um, we are connected as a, as as humans and and especially as an industry now in ways that we never were before. When I started in veterinary medicine, you 
maybe knew people that worked at other practices in your town or, you know, in the surrounding area. And so you could see what other clinics were advertising in their in their job mm-hmm. ad in the paper in terms of wages. But, you know, you might have a local association that you went to CE at and you might chat about wages and stuff like that there. But it was very um, insulated on a local level for a very long time. And social media and the internet have connected us in ways that I couldn't have fathomed when I started in veterinary medicine. And now I think yeah. that the It used to be that the doctors would connect because doctors would go to conferences, big conferences further away from home, but the staff almost never did. Mm -hmm. And that included managers. And now I see more and more clinics where the team and the managers are connecting via associations, via conferences, through social media, in Facebook groups. Yeah, social media groups. And so the conversation as an industry has exploded in a way that... Um, you know, I never saw coming when I started out, you know, 16 plus years ago, because you, who, who would have thought it? And so I think there's a lot of that conversation. And so now, instead of just looking at, well, what is the practice down the road paying their technicians? And that was how a lot of people really not smartly set their wage scales before was what are the other practices in town paying? But Um, That was the only guidepost that people had to use now, right? And now they have, now people are talking and techs are talking to each other and they're in groups and none of this is, I please don't think that I'm saying this because it's a bad thing, but I think that that is an aspect of it that we have to consider is that people are connected in a way that they've never been connected before. And so now all of a sudden, especially I see it a lot with younger, more, um, inexperienced staff, but with experienced staff as well, who will come out and say, well, you know what, what are you paying your, your team in this location? And they, everybody will share their information, which is phenomenal. However, the danger in that is that if someone doesn't have the lens to sift that through and look at it from the perspective of the fact, just the simple, pure fact that the cost of living in South Carolina, where you are, is radically different than the cost of living in Sonoma County, California, where I am, right? And so the team looks Mm -hmm. at it and is like, well, crap, they're paying technicians, you know, $45 an hour. I should be making that. Well, there's a big difference between (laughs) between paying someone $45 for a job where you can't find a house, uh, you know, an apartment for under $2,000 a month and paying somebody... $45 $45 an hour when you can rent a house for 800 a month. Like, and those that that's yeah. all part of this conversation. I think that's where we, where we struggle with the connection that social media gives us is that context. Yeah, I, I, I completely agree. I, I think that's a great point. So yes, I completely agree that social media connection, people being able to exchange information, talk about what they're, what they're making. And then also uh, the larger groups are advertising on social media you know is that if you've got locations across the country and you have a fairly standard wage scale um it makes sense just to blast out hey we're hiring and this is what we pay and um that just did not exist 10 15 years ago like that just did not happen and now it's it's happening a lot and that is really driving a lot of the conversations so yeah i i think i think you're i think you're really right you know context matters so much in all of this. I think it's why it makes the conversation really hard to have about what should we pay 
what should we pay mm-hmm. our people? We have a lot of people who, who talk about living wage and uh, I need to earn a living wage and I haven't earned a living wage. And, and I have said in videos, I'll say, hey, our support staff needs to earn a living wage. And what, is, what does that mean? Mm-hmm. You know, it, yeah. exactly. Like what, what does that mean? And there is nuance and there is context. And the truth is living wage is an idea. It's not a number that people agree on. Yeah. Uh, you know, so a, a living wage is, is d- the definition is it is a wage that is high enough to maintain a normal standard of living. Yep. And what the heck is a normal standard of living? And there's massive debate and there's no consensus, right? Yes. Is like what is a, not not a basic, you know, not survival, right? It, it's not a um, it's not a, a sustenance level, right? It, it's not just this is what you need to be alive. Uh, the basic standard of living when people talk about it, you know, they talk about things like food, shelter, utilities, transport, health care, child care, you know, uh, all of those things. Uh, is Internet part of a basic standard of living? I, I think it probably is in this country. You know, uh, we can get into those sort of conversations of what does it constitute? And there's not a, there's not a right answer. And we also, when we get into into, into a living wage, we get into the question of what is a need versus what is a want. You know, um, is is do I need a car, or is the fact that I could theoretically take the bus and it would take me forty minutes to get to work instead of twelve? Um, is you know, do, does that mean that I don't need a car? You know, and again, there's not a right or wrong answer to these questions, and it's not worth engaging in this level of debate. I just bring it up to say, um, normal standard of living is highly subjective, and it makes this really hard. Well, and it is. It was really, really interesting to me because um, in a lot of the conversation in multiple groups, actually. I I thought it was interesting that, um, there is, um, there, so there are several resources, um, and we'll all drop links to these in, uh, the show notes and the blog, but there are several resources that I have always used as a manager when I look at wage scale information and the Bureau of Labor Statistics is a, is a great resource. And, um, MIT has a, a calculator for living wage information. And it's actually a really cool tool um, and you can, yeah. you know, put in where your location is and they will break out the, the, the cost of living for your for your location. Um, and they'll break it out, whether you're a single person household or whether you have two or your two income household and whether you have kids or not. And what's interesting to me is in all of the conversations that I was seeing, everybody was like, well, you know, um, this is this is what I used to go off of. This is this is what I'm using as my kind of living wage definition. And when I was reading through, um, when I was reading through some stuff in, in preparation for this, I found it interesting that they said that the living wage is the minimum income standard that, if met, draws a fine line between the financial independence and the need to seek out assistance or suffer consistent and severe housing and food insecurity. And so to me, when I think about it in that context, I'm thinking, okay, so what they're saying is that the living wage doesn't include things like the internet. (laughs) I mean, they're really talking about living wage in that you have a roof over your head and you have some sort of food on the table and you're not having to rely on assistance programs um, to make ends meet at the end of the month. And so 
when I think about it in that context, it becomes harder and murkier to figure out what do you then do with this information? Because I don't want to pay my team a wage that means that they're going to be, you know, one broken car bill away, (laughs) away from having to be, you know, not pay rent at the end of the month. Like that doesn't feel good to me as a person. And so I think part of why this is such a big struggle is because it is so subjective. We can get good data. We can get we can get information that is specific even down to our region. Like I was amazed at being able to put in different zip codes and, and look at look at the information and be able to sort that info um, from the BLS as well. But But it's still subjective because part of what feels like a living weight what feels like a living wage to me at this stage in my life is going to be dramatically different than what might feel like a living wage to one of my team members who just moved out on their own for the first time. And it might look different to one of my team members who's got two kids in college and is paying college tuition, right? Like that's, that's the hard part. And so it becomes a personal very quickly. And that is a hard thing to deal with um, as a as a leader, but also as a team member, money is always a hard conversation. Yeah. So looking at the MIT living wage calculator, which is a great tool, really cool. Um, it I'm looking at it for the county that I live in. So, so it gives me 12 different living wages based on the circumstance of the individual, meaning uh, a living wage for a single adult with no children is wildly different from a two adult family where only one of them right. works and they have three right. children, mm-hmm. you know? So essentially it's one worker and four dependents on right. that worker. Well, yeah, the amount of money they're going to need to make to have a normal or basic standard of, of living. Um, those are wildly right. different things. And, and and this is just why I feel like getting bogged down a lot in the living wage debate with our staff yes. is a bad idea, you know, be, because I can't do like I can't I cannot adjust my wages based on a person's individual specific circumstances. Could you imagine, you know, paying a, uh, you know, a technician who has a spouse and three kids like I'm looking at it like significant, uh, at least twice as much money as someone who was not married and doesn't have any kids and just being like, well, right. that's what they need. And so they get twice as much as an hour as you do. So looking at this for uh, for Greenville, South Carolina, um, you know, if you are a single adult, zero children, then the minimum wage that's calculated is $14.39 an hour. But if you are in a two adult family and, and only one working adult and you have three children, that's $35 an hour. So massive difference between those two circumstances. And I go, I I can't look at someone and say, well, tell me about your living circumstances right. and then I'll figure out what we're going to pay you per hour. Because that's that has wild problems, uh, you know, that's- as well. The the other part, besides the, the variable nature of living wage per person, um, the other part is what you said is people are weird yes. about money. And a lot of people have real hangups about yes. money and a lot of people tie their self-worth to money. And, you know, there's just a lot of, of psychology around money in our society. And uh, people, people, people don't always act rationally about money, especially when it's money compared to what other people yeah. make. 
And I think we just need to be honest about that going in. And it's not, it's not bad. I, I hope none of this sounds negative on employees. That's not, that's not at all what I'm trying to say. It's just, let's be honest about what we're walking into when we have these conversations. Yeah. And it's interesting to me because in a lot of the conversation, um, in, in some of the manager groups that I was in where, where this topic has been getting discussed, uh, I was shocked at how many times people's solutions or things people had tried were that they said, oh, well, I, you know, I helped my team. Um, you know, I have a lot of younger team members. And so they didn't get, uh, the reality is we don't get financial education in school. And it should be a part, it should be a part right. of our educations, but we don't. And so yeah. a lot of people were like, oh, well, I, you know, made a budget for my team or I helped them with their finances. And like that just to me, I was just sitting there going, oh, for the love of Pete. So like, this is a bad idea getting, getting yeah, because it is, is personal. And, and this is one of those things from an HR perspective where I like want to wave the giant, giant like hands above my head, stop yeah. sign, like time out, don't do it. Don't go down that road because the reality is it is personal and it doesn't, it doesn't end well when we try and tackle um, that kind of personal knowledge, because you're right. Like people have, everybody was raised differently. They all experience different things and they can only filter their thoughts when it comes to money through the lens that they have. And that makes for a yeah. very, very sticky situation. And at the same time, they're not wrong for wanting to better their circumstances. And that's where I see a lot of negativity in this conversation coming from practice leadership, where when team members step forward and say, I need to make more money, it's very easy on the flip side of the conversation because money is personal and it's weird for practice owners and practice leaders to take it personally and take it as an affront and come at the conversation from a combative or negative headspace. And so I think when we yeah. talk about trying to actually troubleshoot this from a headspace perspective, it has to be like when you start to have conversations with your team about money, whether they're asking for more money or you're just talking about how do we get you more money it should come from a safe place where you can look at them and have and and smile and not have those um, feelings of negativity or having taken it personally. And if that's where you're feeling, you have to walk away from the conversation before you start it, like cool, cool your jets, because it's never going to come to any good when you talk about money with your team, especially if you're if you're upset by it. Yeah, I think where this conversation goes off the rails uh, is I, I, I think that there are support staff that come to the boss and they say, I need to earn a living yeah. wage. And what they're really saying is mm -hmm. I need to make more money uh, for, for the amount of work yes. that I am putting in here and the emotional toll this job is taking on me. I need better compensation than yes. what I'm getting. And that's fine. They sh like if they feel that way, then then they should say that. I'd much rather have them say that than not say that and yes. then leave. Um, you know. But I think they, I, I think that people sometimes frame that conversation instead of just saying, "I need to make more money to feel like this the sacrifices I'm making are, are, are and the effort I'm putting in are, are, are worth the compensation right. I'm getting." I, I think in order to get around saying that, sometimes I think they say, "Well, I'm going to say I need a living wage." And 
And I think that the way it could play out in your mind is you feel like this is a much more defensible ass because what you're saying is I, I'm not I don't make right. enough to survive and, and I need more. And how could you possibly deny that request? The problem with that is when you say I need a living wage, I, I think a lot of people uh, <laughs> then start to debate what right. is a living wage, which which is totally tangential to the fact of like, I need to right. make more money. I am not here to debate a living right. wage with you. I'm here because I need more money. Um, and so it, the the whole thing gets sidetracked into this conversation of what is a living wage. And, and that's not productive for the person who just needs to make more, yeah. more money per hour. Um, and then also it really can trigger some self-identity stuff, some heavy feelings on the management sure. side. Because if someone's, if I come to you and say, Stephanie, I, I look, I need to make a living wage. What I'm really saying is, Stephanie, you have not been paying me the basic things that I need to survive in this yes. world. And you, and of course, if you see yourself as a good boss and a good <laughs> employer and someone who's tried to do right, right. by your people, that mm -hmm. hurts. Mm -hmm. You know, like that, that you can take that uh, in a very, in a very hard way. And so I think that, that these conversations often end up triggering emotions that are unnecessary. So all, all of that to say, putting aside arguments over what is a living wage, I think is the first step in uh, addressing when people come and are asking for a uh, higher compensation. I agree with that. Let's uh, let's pause here for one second and then we'll come back and I want to start talking about, I want to jump into why budgeting for your team is a bad <laughs> idea. And then, I'll, and then I want to roll through, what, what do you do? Sound good? Yeah, that sounds great. Guys, I just want to jump in real quick and uh, give you a quick heads up about some awesome stuff that we have going on. Right now, the uh, card game, it's called What's on My Scrubs, is blowing up. We've sold the majority of the initial printing. Uh, we're going to run out of these, I'm afraid, before too long. We're trying to sort of hang on to them, but, uh, but they're going fast. What's on My Scrubs is a card game for the entire veterinary team. It makes people laugh and have fun. Check out online. You can look around. We have some advertisements out there. If you see it, check out the comments because people are like, I got this and it was wonderful and we laughed and we had a good time. And uh, I'm just seeing stuff like that. And it makes, it makes my heart just swell. So anyway, if you're looking for an icebreaker with your team for your staff meeting, you want to get people in, get them to laugh, get them to talk to each other uh, before you try to get down to some work. Man, this is a great way to do it. This is, this is what we made it for. So anyway, what's on my scrubs? I'll put the link in the show notes. You can head over to drandyrook.com and check it out. I hope you do. I hope you have fun with it. Gang, let's get back into this episode. All right, we're back. Let's, um, Stephanie, uh, we said earlier that that uh, when that when the staff says, I need a living wage, we see people who are like, I'll help you with a budget and let me talk to you about about your, you know, your finances. And we both were like, that's bad. <laughs> uh, there, there are people who are listening who are like, why is that bad? Like, uh, you know. I just I want to help them. I see them spending money on things that don't make a lot of sense. I see them coming in with things that I would not spend money on or things that are not really necessary. And if they just didn't go to Starbucks every day, then they would have more right. money. <laughs> to, to do whatever and I say that jokingly but I, I don't I'm, I'm not saying that in a condescending way well you're you're saying it because that's the exact conversation that I've had with with right. team field leadership like that and, and practice owners like that's that the is the exact conversation and it's, it is a good and it's a good one right and and the question is a really good one and so I think um hopefully I, I would like to try and clarify my thoughts on there is a big fundamental difference between 
getting involved in your team's personal finances and helping them access financial education and awareness. Those are two different things. And so when I say, okay, talking about money with your team and getting into their personal finances always ends badly. What I mean by that is I try and think of it with the HR hat on um, in a very similar way to how I view my team's personal medical information, which is I take the need to know approach and I don't need to know because when I know things, it human nature, if you told me, Andy, that every single day you stopped at Starbucks and got breakfast and you came into the clinic and said, oh yeah, you know, my my iPhone 11 just broke. And so I just upgraded and I got the iPhone 12. You're giving me information that by our very human nature um, is going to color the way that I process you as a person. Um, And that's, it's just human nature. That's the caveman part of our brain that reacts and says, I have this information. I process this information. And now I have a filter through which I can view you. Right. And um, it's this, it's very similar from an HR perspective of I, when I know personal details about people's lives, I, it makes it harder for me to stay neutral and be Switzerland. Mm-hmm. And when it comes to HR and it comes to running a practice, that's, that's where you need to be to keep yourself out of legal hot water in the long run. And so when I think about it from a money perspective, this is where I have had the conversation multiple times with friends where I've said, okay, I love where your heart is. And I, I love that you want to help your team. Let's talk about um, maybe some different ways we can help them without having to be a parent and solve their problems for them, which is really that that yeah. human nature, that mothering, I want to take care of you and I want to help you out. And I've been there. I, I've done it. I, I speak from the place of having, as a young manager, having had team members who are like, I don't know how to do this, who I literally sat down and helped them make a spreadsheet. And so I get wanting to help. Um, and I think that there's a better way to do it. And so earlier, uh, you know, when I <laughs> jokingly said, we don't teach that in school and we should, I was really serious. And I think this is an area where we can do better by our team members, because I think one of the solutions can be helping our team access financial education, because I think that as a society, financial education has been something that has been inaccessible to a huge portion of the population um, who doesn't have money. You have to have money to learn about money has kind of been the the way that um, I have experienced it in my life. And I was really blessed early on in my career to to work in a hospital where our practice owners helped us. Um, They worked with a CPA who came in and gave us an annual class on tax tips and things to think about from personal finance. And Mm -hmm. what I love about that is it's a fringe benefit that I can offer to my team but it's someone who has the professional capacity to have that conversation and do that education, which I do not. And so for all the good, well-intentioned people who are like, let me help you figure out a budget. The reality is most of us don't have a degree in finance. Most of us are not CPAs. Most of us do not have the um, financial acumen to really speak from a professional perspective. And so that's where my best advice to to my friends and fellow leaders is 
get get a professional. This is this is where you bring bring yeah. somebody in from the outside. And there's a bunch of different ways to to do it. You know, you think think like an EAP, where when you find out an employee is having a problem, you have someone that you can refer them to. You're not having to inject yourself into the middle of their personal life. You are, but you are still helping them access the resources, and we can provide financial planning. Um, resources to our team in a very similar fashion. And it's a great benefit for them. I, I agree. I, I like your analogy of EAP. I think one of the big emerging strengths that veterinary leaders are going to have to have going forward, I mean, just a must have, is professional distance. Mm-hmm. Like, I think professional distance is soaring is in importance. And I could, I'd be happy to unpack this in a lot of different ways. But um but in this context, professional distance is critical. Mm-hmm. You can care too much. Your job as a leader is to balance the needs of all of yes. your people and yourself and your business. And if you can't maintain professional distance from your team and you're going to get up in their business, you're going to pay a price. Mm-hmm. You're going to pay an emotional price. You can pay an HR price, uh, possibly legal price. Uh, there is no good that comes from this. Part of being... Um, of being successful in professional distance is personal boundaries and a key piece of personal boundaries. If you're going to have personal boundaries, you have to have what I call games. We don't play games. We don't play are places where you say, I'm not going there, right? I am not going to get in there and discuss your finances with you because then what happens is you look around and you're like, are we're arguing about whether or not the iPhone is a necessary expense. I have no, no reason to be in this conversation. The fact that I'm having this right. conversation is right. bad. I am already in a place that I, I don't want to be. There's no good that comes from this. This is a waste of my time. This needs to be a game that I don't play. And so I like your analogy to the EEP because I put it in the same category. There are a number of things where I say, I want to help my people and I want to take care of them and I want to be a good provider for them. And at the same time, I'm not playing games and I'm not getting up in your business and I'm not getting unprofessional. I am going to maintain a professional distance while I do this. So um, I I use the EP as an example. As we get letters from people all the time who are like, I have a, a, a technician who is depressed and she's going through a divorce and every day she comes in and closes the door and tells me about her divorce and what's happening and I don't know how to help her and, you know, I've talked to her about all these things and blah, blah, blah. And, and I write back to them and say, stop it. Um, stop it. You need to refer her to an EAP. You need to decide if your clinic is willing to support counseling services for all employees who might need them, not this one person. Right. And do it and then send her to a counselor and you stay out of her marriage and stay out of her divorce and stay out of that stuff. Like that's not where you need to be. And again, it's not because I don't care. I'm not trying to write this person off. I'm going, this is not good for me and my mental health. It's not good for our practice. It looks like favoritism. This person is getting so much more attention. And from an HR standpoint, I'm putting myself into potentially hot water Mm -hmm. here. And so the EAP uh, employee assistance program for those who don't know, is a great way of the thing that I have. And if someone needs counseling, support, help, uh, getting out of a marriage, moving, finding childcare, that's what that service is for. And I can say, here's where you go. And I can write generous policies for my business that we follow for everyone that take care of people and support them, but are not individualized based on the specifics of what's going on with people. You cannot do that. And so this is the same thing. I am not going to get in and talk about your personal finances. I'm not Mm -hmm. going to do it. I am happy to provide you with financial resources. 
uh, and opportunities to learn that are totally voluntary. Mm -hmm. And I will I will help with that. And, and I am happy to talk to you about what we pay and why we pay it and how we pay it and how that's determined. But it is not going to be based on your personal needs, right. um, you know, and 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 us arguing about you know, about what it means to have a basic standard of care. Like I just, I can't get into that. And, and, and employers and leaders have to, you just have to stay out of that. And you can do that while being very compassionate. It's just a game that I'm not going to play. I agree. I agree with that. And, and I think you just hit the nail on the head for the next thing that I think is important in this conversation, which is that as an industry, we really, for a very, very long time, we didn't have wage transparency. We didn't have pay scales. It was very much um, one of two things. It was either what the business thought they could afford and it was set and that was that was it and this is what we're going to pay. Or most commonly, um, <laughs> a combination of what I call um, <laughs> uh, how, how the wind moves someone. <laughs> Where today the practice owner said, I'm sure I will pay you X amount today. That sounds great. And tomorrow it might be a different amount, right? Or team members who came on board and said, this is what I need to make. And somebody said, yes, I will pay that or no, or no, I will not. Right. It was very, very subjective for a very long time. And I think that that mm -hmm. is problem number one, when it comes to um, when we have the living wage conversation, once we get past the fact that living wage is subjective, one of the big challenges that we have to overcome with the team is the understanding that they have to be in control of the end game. They have to know the rules that they're playing by. And in most veterinary clinics, there is not a wage scale. There is not transparency about how do I go from point A, which is my starting wage, to a place where I feel end game satisfaction and could be happy with my total compensation package and exist for an extended period of time. In most practices, that does not exist. Right. And that's a problem. And that's not their problem. That's our problem. We need to solve that. Yeah, I was just saying, and that is the answer. Right. When we talk about, you know, the, the, the action steps that people can take here, this is a big part of it. If you don't want to have individual conversations with people about them telling you what they need mm -hmm. to earn, um, you know, and, and what they think is fair or reasonable, uh, then you need to have uh, transparency in, in mm -hmm. what you pay. Meaning, uh, and again, that is that can mean a lot of things. Uh, basically, in this context, what I mean is there should be a wage scale where your technician who's been with you for two years knows what they're getting paid, and there should be equality in the in the wage scale. Meaning that the other technician who's been there for two years and has the same skills should make basically the same as as this mm -hmm. technician, and they should both ideally know what they need to do yes. to get a raise and to move up to the to the next level. Like they should know that. And as long as you have that in place, then when people come and they say, I need to make this, or I need to make that, you can point to the wage scale and say, well, this is how we do it. And this is where we are. That doesn't mean that your people are not going to ask for more money. And it doesn't mean that they don't have a right to ask for money. And it doesn't mean that they might not be perfectly correct in asking for mm -hmm. more money. It might be that our wage scale is too right. low and they're pointing that out and we need to work on that. But it is a very reasonable professional challenge for me to look at our wage scale and try to adjust our wage scale to be competitive, to take care of our staff and to most importantly retain yes. them 
that's a heck of a lot more reasonable uh, and productive than me sitting down with uh, Donald and go talking to him about what he needs to feel like he's living a basic standard of living and how, you know, uh, his bills are, are going up and he doesn't have a budget. That's that's not a productive conversation uh, in a lot of ways. So getting to transparency, equality in the wage in the wage scale and saying, hey, guys, here's what it is. And if we want to discuss adjusting our wage scale, we yes, we can have that conversation and we need to to, to talk about it and think about it. And I need to look at, at it and I need to stay on it because I don't want to get left in the dust mm-hmm. and have somebody else's wage scale just down the road is, you know, significantly better than mine. Like I'm, I don't want to lose out mm-hmm. on good hires. I don't want mm-hmm. to lose my people. So um, I, I think to your point, transparency is key. Having a wage scale is key. Equality of pay is key. Uh, those are, and those are all things that people are pushing for. You know, this is really where our society is going. It's where our industry is going. Um, it makes sense to make these policies, to make these plans and lay them down and then point to them when we have wage conversations. Okay. I think what you just said is the key to this whole thing, which is there has to be a plan. And I think that this is where yes. panic sets in on both sides of the conversation is because 99.99% of the time, there is no plan. And so what happens is an employee comes to you as a hospital leader, whether you're a a manager or you're a practice owner, and they say, I need to make more money. And there is the, that pushes the panic button of, oh God, I have to make a decision and I have to do it right, right now in the moment because they're asking me for more money, right? That sets off a cascade of panic for most people on the flip side for the owner the other reason that that sets off panic is because it n- none of us have the magic money tree in our backyard that, that we can go shake at the clinic and make hundreds of thousands of dollars fall out. And so for our pra- from a practice leadership perspective, when that panic button gets pushed, they are feeling the the lack of plan in terms of I want to help this person. I want to give them an answer. I don't want to lose them. And so this is where I see so many um, practice leaders get into hot water because they say, okay, they are asking. And if I don't give them what they want, then I'm going to be screwed and they're going to leave. So I'm just going to give them what they want. And it is very, very subjective. And there's no equality across the board. We live in a society where instant gratification is a thing, right? This is a big, big thing. We are used to um, I'm used to being able to get on my phone and order Starbucks and walk in and pick it up and walk mm-hmm. out in less than two minutes. Like that is, that is where we live now. The reality is it is okay for the team to have boundaries and to have to work for what they get. And I think that that gets lost sometimes in the instant gratification world that we live in. Just because someone says, I have my technician license. And so now I feel like I should be making the high end of a technician wage scale. I don't think that that's necessarily true. And I think that that's okay. But for that to be okay, there has to be education because we have to be able to define to the team, how do they get to the payoff? What does it look like at the point A, where do you start? And what does it look like at point Z where you end? And what do they have to do to get there? Because the reality is if they don't see 
forward motion, they're not going to stay. And so we have to, as practice leaders, have to come up with an actual plan that will help them get to where they want to go. And we also have to be okay with setting boundaries when our team comes to us and we can't give in instantly because when we give in instantly, we make bad choices and our business can suffer as as a result. And so we have to think about what is the long-term plan? How are we going to get there? And so that is that fear, that place of fear is where so many of us live because like I said in the very beginning, this is a good thing. It is a good thing that we're having all these conversations, but there is a lot of fear and anxiety for practice owners and practice leaders around it because most of us have not already been planning for this. And now that it's here, there are a lot of us who are struggling with feeling like, okay, I I know I need to move forward, but I don't know how to get there. And, and so that I think acknowledging that and saying to our teams, I want to put together a plan, but I can't do that today. I don't, I don't know why that's such a struggle for people, but that's where I see most people struggle the most when that team member is sitting in your office. It's okay to say, I hear you. And I want to think about this. I need some time to process this and look at some numbers. Can we circle back and have this conversation again in two weeks or whatever? Yeah. But so many of us just hit that pa- that panic button gets pressed and we make bad <laughs> decisions. Yeah. Yeah, I, I agree with that. I, I think setting expectations is good and uh, reject the idea that you have to fix this problem yes. right now. You know, I have to negotiate with this person right now. No, you don't. Um, it, it's okay to say, I want to think about this. I need to look and see what's possible. I need to look at our pay scales. And again, I keep pushing back to that of this is not a one-on-one negotiation. This is us. You, you're, you, I hear you. I hear what you're saying. I need to look at what we pay all of our support staff and see how you know, your request fits into that and, you know, and, and kind of mm-hmm. what we can do balancing the needs mm-hmm. of everyone. I think your other point is really good too, where um, it's easy to feel a lot of panic when this appears on your radar for the first time, especially when the support staff person comes in with a job right. ad <laughs> that is significantly more than what yes. you pay. And a lot of people are having that unpleasant experience where they say, look right. at this, this is what is being offered. Uh, and we're nowhere close to it. And that can really rock your boat. Um, let's talk about about that. So I, I think the things we've laid down so far are, you know, helping access financial education is mm-hmm. is obviously a good basic thing that we can do in our practice. You know, um, having some boundaries, um, talking about uh, transparency, wage scales, things like that, of having a system for how we pay yeah. people so it's not willy-nilly who catches me on the right day with an ad in their hand, you know, but saying, okay, let's have a system for what we're going to pay people and how we're going to retain people. I I think those are the first things. The next part is really looking at the writing on the wall and saying, hey, people Mm -hmm. are quitting and wage uh, wages are going up and there are players in the market who are going to pay more because they want that talent. And we are going to have to adjust to um, to retain our people. And that does not mean panicking. But it does mean moving with purpose to say, okay, what is our strategy here for keeping our people when the world around us is changing? I um I think that there is there is an answer, and I think it's an unpopular answer. But I think here's what's coming. Um, I think a lot of us have really fought hard 
to keep prices down in vet medicine. We really want to keep uh, care affordable. I know I live in that world. I want our, our services to yeah. be affordable. And we have pushed back against that. And so we have said to our staff with a straight face, we can't afford to pay more. And we're being honest. Um, I think that we're going to get forced into a hard choice. And the hard choice is we're going to let our staff quit and go do other things, either go to other industries where they can make the money that they need to make, because I think people are getting to that point, or they're going to quit and they're going to go work for someone who will pay them what they need, or we're going to bite the bullet and we're going to raise our prices or uh, adjust our, our business model in order to generate that revenue. And then that revenue needs to go to our staff. And, um, you know, unfortunately I think pet owners are going to have to bear the pain in a, in a lot of this. And I don't think we should be ashamed about it to say, Hey, we, we need to pay our staff. (laughs) Like, I'm sorry. Like they need to, they need to be paid. And so our, you know, our prices are going are going to go up, and and the price adjustment is going to go to our staff pay. But yeah, I, I think if you're getting left behind, it's not going to be fun. And I'm not saying we should, you know, jack our prices up overnight. We definitely shouldn't. But again, you yeah. have a plan, and I think that based on what we're seeing in the market and how things are going, the price of pet care is going up, and the difference in that price that price increase is going to wages and staff. Yeah. I, I agree. I don't think that's the only answer, but I definitely think that it is a piece of the puzzle and I and I am with you. We can't we can't jack it up overnight, but we also can't live in a world where some of that cost is not passed on to our clients. Yeah. It just isn't possible. And so it, it 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 I just I don't see any way. That's what we've done. We've we've lived in that world to this point where we have kept it low for them and tried not to pass it on to them. And it is not working because mm-hmm. people are living or leaving the field in droves. And the the end of the day, it's a, it's a really simple math problem. And I'm probably going to make myself public yep. enemy number one with some people when I say this, but the, the reality is what, what you said, Andy, is that there's a lot of hospitals out there who are saying, I can't afford to pay you. And I would strongly argue that you won't pay them. And that's a choice. And you have to think about the fact that even though you are choosing, you you still have power in that choice because it's it costs us X to handle the turnover in our practice. And it costs us Y right. to be able to compensate our team and increase our payroll. And you can do the math in your own practice and solve, solve for the variable. Are you going to pay the cost of constant frequent turnover and all of the pain that is associated with that? And there's a hugely high cost associated with that? Or are you going to look at the numbers for what is, what is why? And what does it cost to increase the the payroll? And I, it makes me really frustrated to hear my, my colleagues and friends say, we can't afford to pay that because the reality is it, it is a choice. And you, it, by, by choosing that you are going to wind up dealing with the side effects of that unintended side effects, which is the, the turnover and the, the not having enough people to see the patients and all of the things. And so I would argue you can't afford not to figure out how to pay your team, because if we don't have a team, we can't do our jobs. And so yeah. I would much rather um, figure out how to um, create my own little magic money tree. <laughs> 
that shakes out a little bit of money that helps me pay my team then suffer slowly and painfully on the max exodus wheel of death because that's where a lot of my friends are suffering right now and it hurts me to watch it happen yeah the i guess my my last thing on this is uh this should be a non-emotional challenge right and um I think a lo- I think a lot of our people, a lot of a lot of practice leaders, are really in panic mode, uh, and they're feeling a lot of stress right now and a lot of anxiety. And, and uh, we need to breathe through that. Yeah. Okay. This, as you said, this is a this is a math problem. Um, it costs X number of dollars to replace someone when mm-hmm. we lose them. And right now, given the labor shortage, that is a high number. Yes. Uh, we can't just get someone. So there is a financial penalty to not retaining someone, right? Um, at the same time, that penalty is not infinite. I mean, when someone comes in and goes, I need to make $300,000 right. to walk dogs <laughs> in the back. Like, well, that's not gonna happen. Right. Uh, you know, it, it's, we can only do what we can do. The uh, There's three levers that we can pull if we want to make a little bit of the money tree for our staff, right? There's only three. We can get more efficient. So figure out how to do more with less we can uh, raise our prices and we can uh, work cases up more. Like that's like, you know, we can do more services. We can, we can do more blood work and do more diagnostics. We can work up our cases more. Those are the three things. There are no other things. It's, it's get it, get efficient, see more, see more clients with uh, fewer people or, um, or work up the cases, meaning double down on compliance on recommendations or, or raise your prices. Those are the only three levers that there are. Um, you're the one who needs to figure out how much you can pull those levers. You know, um, I think that this is very much going to be, and let me go back to the very beginning when I talked about my daughter and me feeling like crap and saying some problems can't be solved. They have to be mm-hmm. carried. There is no pain-free yeah. way out of this. I don't think. I agree. Right. You are going to have your staff or someone on your staff be irked because they didn't get what they wanted or you're going to have the clients irked because your prices went up or you're going to have uh, the rest of the staff irked because uh, because people left and, uh, you know, and now they're shorthanded or all of the things. And the truth <laughs> and the truth is you're probably going to have right. a little bit of all of the things. And honestly, and this sounds terrible, that's probably the best solution. The best solution is probably the staff got got some perks and you know and like yeah it's not what we maybe hoped for but we got we you know we are feeling better we are feeling like an attempt was made you know what i mean and and we're better off than we were the clients are going i hate that they prices keep going up god it always always costs more you know and uh and maybe the one person who just had unrealistic expectations that person's gonna leave yeah uh, and, you know, and and that may be the best outcome in all of this. And so when I say it's a math problem, know that it costs to lose mm-hmm. someone and but it's not an infinite cost. And then how do we pay people fairly? How do we set up a system that motivates them to learn and grow that gives them some power and autonomy for how they advance in their careers that is fair across the board and that we as a hospital can maintain and that is good enough and and attractive enough to keep my right. people yeah you know and that's and and that that's the needle that i'm trying to thread and so uh you know again, again i'm not I, i'm I worry that some people listen to this whole thing was like well andy and stephanie said we just have to throw money at the staff like that's <laughs> not what i'm saying that's not realistic no 
I, uh, for most of us sitting on our hands and not doing anything is probably not going to be uh, the answer. But I, I just, I think we're all, you know, I think we're all watching the world and how things are going. And I think it's going to continue to be a process. And, and I don't think it's something that you're going to fix in the month of August and be done with. I think that this is going to be an ongoing process of evaluating our yeah. wage scale and staying competitive, yeah. you know, and doing what we can do. And, and, and it's really, it's important that the staff feels like things are getting better and that you're trying. And I really do think that that means a lot. And the last, the very last thing that I'm going to say on this, I promise I'll be done for this, is resist the trap of getting myopic and thinking that money equals job satisfaction Agreed. and happiness. It yeah. does not. Yeah. You know, have a good culture. Be a good place to work. Be a good boss. Be the boss that you would want to work for. Compensate your employees fairly. Compensate them in the best way that you can. Take care of them. And ultimately, sleep soundly at night knowing that you have done what you can do. And if somebody needs to make more money, it's yeah. not personal. Mm -hmm. You can't be gross you know, them. And, and yeah. just... just you can't begrudge them for going and it doesn't mean that yeah. you're a failure. It means you're looking at what you have and your resources and your clients and you're saying, this is the best mm -hmm. that I can do. And if this isn't what you need, it doesn't it's change you know, how, yeah. how I feel about you. It's yeah. not personal. You need to look out for your family and I'm going to look out for my family and it's my job to look out for everybody else in the right. vet clinic. Like that's just what it is. I think that is a great note to end on. Thanks for talking through this with me, Stephanie. I appreciate it. Yeah, this is a good one. Have a great week, you guys. See you, gang. Well, gang, that's it for another episode of the podcast. I hope that you enjoyed the conversation with Andy and I this week. And more so, I really hope that uh, this conversation continues for us as an industry. I think thinking about our wages and thinking about ourselves from the perspective of valuing the work that we're doing is such a great thing for our industry. And I think that it will be painful and there will be lots of bumps in the road as we try and figure this out. But I do think that in the long run, this is a great um, conversation for us to be having. So if you enjoyed this week's podcast, if you would like to continue conversations like this with uh, other like-minded individuals who look at things from a positive perspective, you should definitely come check out the Uncharted Culture Conference. It's gonna be happening in October, we are going to be nerding out all together on topics like this and um, things that we can really do to build intention, intentional, positive cultures within our team. And it's going to be so much fun. I am looking forward to this. We've got some great speakers lined up and more so we have a great community coming together to talk about issues like this. So um, if you haven't checked out the information on the website about the conference, you can find it at unchartedvet.com forward slash UBC dash culture. And hopefully we will see you guys there. Take care, everybody. Have a great week. <laughs>